Okay, uh, tonight we're going to be in Psalm 76, and uh, Relin has already told me that he said, I thought we were going every other Wednesday night on Psalms, uh, and he is, as I hate to say it, he is correct. Uh, however, I think Psalm 76 ties, I believe it flows well and, and ties in to an extent to Psalm 75, as long with Psalm 74 and even back to Psalm 73. Uh, so I thought it might be appropriate just, just to go on into Psalm 76. Um, I don't know, again, I don't know if this psalm, uh, if Psalms 73 through 76 were intended by Asaph to work together or not, but I think it certainly isn't hard to see a definite flow uh, between these psalms. And there's a couple of things with Psalm 76, depending on, uh, what event you think uh, Asaph is talking about, depending on what event you think, will determine uh, which Asaph it is. Uh, it could be one of the descendants. Uh, so uh, depending on what event is tied to it, it, it really just depends when it comes to the Asaph. But in Psalm 74, if you remember, uh, we saw confusion followed by faith. Uh, well, it even started back in Psalm 73, and I won't hash back through them, but uh, remember in Psalm 73, he was real disturbed and real discouraged because of the, the prosperity of the wicked until he said he went to the house of the Lord and he understood their end. And then we get into Psalm 74 where we, he, he was con, uh, we see confusion followed by faith. Uh, Asaph described the Babylonian invasion. He didn't understand most of what he saw. Uh, nevertheless, he was determined uh, to trust God. Then we see seen in Psalm 75 uh, where we see his answer uh, that he had through another revelation of God, through hearing God's word, um, and how God described that judgment was in his terms on his time, and judgment is just and it's certain. Um, so we see Asaph, even at the end of Psalm 73, we see with a promise that he would declare the truth of God's judgment to all the world. If you remember Psalm 75, beginning at verse 9, he says, But I would declare forever, I will sing praises to the God of Jacob. All of the horns of the wicked I will also cut off, but the horns of the righteous shall be exalted. So we see Psalm 76 I think certainly fits, uh, it fits that bill because we see Psalms in this Psalm that it tells us of his, uh, I guess, enthusiasm, if you will, of Asaph here over the truths of God's judgment. You know, God said judgment's going to be in his time, it's going to be certain. And then you start seeing in Psalm 76 where he's getting a little excited here because he sees the truth uh, uh, that's found in God's judgment. And all of a sudden, uh, when he comes to that conclusion, the stings of persecution, the stings of, of, of doubt maybe, of not understanding what he sees, it, uh, it, it doesn't look so bad now because he looks to the end and sees God's righteous vindication. Um, and I think that will help us. I think it will help us to know no matter what we go through here, that God knows exactly what we're going through, and God's going to take care of it. And uh, I think that can bring us comfort. Now, I think in many ways this psalm is like 
uh, the famous Psalm of David. Remember back all the way to Psalms 2, beginning at verse 10. Remember what David said? Now therefore be wise, O kings. Be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son lest he be angry and you perish in the way. When his wrath is kindled but a little, blessed are all those who put their trust in him. And so ultimately, it's a reminder that God is to be feared. Um, And I think that's what we see in this psalm, all the way through this psalm, that God is a God to be feared. And I really think we forget that sometimes. I, I, I think we forget the power of God. I think we forget the judgment of God. And I think we forget that we need a, a good dose of, of fear when it comes to God. And, and I'll get into that and, let, and, and we'll see what the Bible says about that. But uh, I think this is a timely reminder. In one sense, a failure to fear God, I, I don't believe, is a new thing. Remember in Psalms 36 and verse 1, an oracle within my heart Concerning the transgression of the wicked, there is no fear of God before his eyes. So there's no fear of God before the eyes of the wicked. And think about that. The wicked, if, if, if an individual is going to rebel against God, if an a individual is going to turn against his statutes, that is an obvious, I think, uh, conclusion that there's no fear, is there? There can't be any fear. If we choose to rebel against God, there can't be any fear of God. And I think that's what individuals lose, is that sense of fear. Um, now, you may say, well, Ronald, we're not supposed to go around and just being afraid all the time. That's not what I'm talking about. And we're going to get in some scriptures about that. But I think this song does remind us, we better fear God. We better fear His wrath. We better fear His anger. And I think that can help motivate us not to rebel. That can help motivate us. What is it? Was it James Watson used to say, say there's a heaven to gain and a hell to shun? I think he used to say that all the time. And, and I think we forget the hell to shun part. You know, we, we're always talking about striving for heaven, but there's a hell to shun. And there's a way in which we do that. And I think that comes with fear. And I think we see uh, on a scale today, I think it feels like we're living... In, in times when there, there's no fear of God. Even among those who claim, uh, I think, claim to believe in God, I don't think there's a sense of fear because we mostly only see God portrayed as a God of love and never a God of anger or of wrath. You never hardly hear that mentioned. You never hardly hear that stated. Uh, or we see that uh, He's not to be feared at all. We see where uh, we say there's promise that he's, he, he won't ever be angry, he won't ever be disappointed. We're promised that his grace and mercy are so big that there's nothing to fear. Now, let's think about that. God is, his grace is amazing. His, his mercy, as the Bible said, is every new every morning. And uh, God's love doesn't fail. But there's a disclaimer, isn't there? There's a disclaimer when it comes to His grace. There's a disclaimer when it comes to His mercy. I think there's a disclaimer when it comes to His love. His grace is for the humble. James 4 verse 6 says, But He gives more grace. Therefore He said, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Then He says when it comes to repentance, yes, there's mercy, but He always requires repentance. In Luke 13 and verse 3 He says, But unless one repents... It's all likewise perish. 
when it comes to his love, his saving love is for those that obey him. Think about it. In John chapter 14, verse 23, Jesus answered and said to them, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. So when it comes to grace, when it comes to mercy, when it comes to love, he says grace is for the humble, mercy is for the repentant, uh, the person that repents. The, the, his love is for those that obey him. Yes, he, he so loved us that he sent his son. He made salvation an opportunity, but there are requirements for that salvation. There's requirements for that gift. And, and I think when uh, all you hear out in the world is, you know, don't, don't say anything about God's wrath. Don't say anything about His anger. Don't say anything about His justice. When you, when you talk about judgment, and you talk about righteous judgment, when, you call, uh, when, when God says, don't repay evil for evil, He said, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Where does that come from? When it comes to God's enemies, when it comes to those that rebel against Him, when it comes to those that are harming His children, you don't think God's going to do something about that? You don't think judgment is coming for individuals when it comes to that? And when I say judgment, that judgment of His wrath. When, when that cup of wrath is full, something's going to happen. And I think that's what Asaph was learning in Psalm 74. Judgment comes at my time, he says. Judgment comes appropriately and it's going to be just, but it's going to be on my time, my way, who I choose and the reason I choose. Because he's a sovereign God. See, that's, that's sometimes the hard thing to grasp. We serve a sovereign God. He chooses what's right and wrong. He chooses what's righteous. He's holy and he's, he's what makes things holy. So we need to think about that when we're thinking about uh, God, I think we need to have uh, a sense of fear. And I think there's something that's often missed. Uh, I think what's missed sometimes is the fact that God, uh, when He judges, what's going to happen to sinners that don't repent when it comes to judgment? They, God going to say, you know, my word didn't matter. It, it, what I said didn't matter. It, it, it's okay. Come right on in. You know, there's a lot in the world, and, and I've got a couple problems with that. And here's a, a couple of them. Is, one is, if, if God says, live this way, or if you do these things and not repent, you're going to be lost. If He's going on the day of judgment say, never mind, uh, uh, just come on in anyway. If He can do that, could He take someone that served them all their lives? Faithful to them was a living sacrifice in their life. Him say, never mind, I've changed my mind, you're lost eternally. If he can do one, he's going to do the other, can he? See, we don't want to see it that way. We don't want to think about, and here's a term we say all the time. God loves the sin, but does what? Or, or loves the sinner, but what? Hates the sin. So let me ask you a question. When it comes to eternal punishment, when it comes to eternal hell, is the sin or the sinner going to be there? The sinner. And I think we forget that sometimes. I think we forget the, it's the person committing the action. We say, well, well God loves the, the, the sinner, but He hates the sin. Well, that's a true statement, but how we use that is sometimes to separate the sin, the flesh, from the Spirit. And, and we say, well, this doesn't matter when it comes to my, uh, when it comes to my Christian life. It, it, this doesn't matter. He hates that sin, but that's separate. 
It's the action. I'm going to give an account for the things I do in the body, aren't I? When I stand before Him, I'm going to give account for these things, for the actions in which I do. If I rebel against God and I turn away from God, there's judgment coming. I'm going to face that wrath of God. Should that be something to be feared? Well, yeah. (laughs) Absolutely, I think that ought to be. Because when that fear comes, you know what's there? Respect. A sense of awe, a sense of acknowledgement of His power, of acknowledgement of what He can do. And I think that's what we're going to see here when it comes to, uh, uh, comes to this psalm. Now I think there are many verses in Scripture that speak of the importance of the fear of the Lord. Let's, let's look at just a few. In Ecclesiastes chapter 12, again at verse 13, notice what the old preacher says. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret, secret thing, whether good or bad. In the New Testament, 1, uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, again at verse 17. Uh, and if you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourself throughout... The time of your stay here in fear, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by traditions from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Remember the writer of Hebrews, remember the warning? Hebrews 4 beginning at verse 1. Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear, lest any of you seem to have come short of it. Now notice, <coughs> for indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. Now, because we're dealing with a holy God, because we're dealing with a, a powerful God, because we're dealing with a God who will judge, I think there must be fear. I think there should be fear. Um, and, and think about it. When, when it comes to... And, and what we're fearing is... Now, what we're looking forward to, what we're anticipating is God is a just God, and if He says He will save us on these conditions, he, He's made this available. I think that's where His grace and mercy is, that He's made it available. Uh, when He's done that, that shows His love and how just He is. But we also see the other side. If I don't follow that, there's a wrath. There, there, there's a judgment. There's a righteous judgment where I'm going to be lost when I stand before Him and be judged by His Word. I need to fear that. I I need to have a fear of God is that powerful and I want to serve Him. Uh, That level of respect, that level level of awe. I think, you know, I I used to think about that every time uh, when I would go down through Coopville and Willow, there was a billboard there, you know, uh, uh, come to church in your jeans, we do. And, And that may be all well and good itself, but then it would say, you won't even know you've been to church. I'm thinking, well, well, why go? And that same billboard, the one who put it there, is the same one you've heard me say before, standing at the graveyard, and he prayed and said, Big Daddy, come down here and just give me a bear hug. I thought, if lightning's going to strike right now is when it's going to be. And I stepped away from him. I mean, I took a couple steps, and he said, well, what did you do that for? He said, well, you just don't have a relationship with God like I do. You're absolutely right, I don't. 
I don't have that kind of relationship with God. I have a respect. I have an awe. Not as maybe as what it should be, and, and I need to work on that. But you won't hear the word big daddy in a prayer come from my lips. I fear and respect God more than that. And I think that's the problem I think that we see today. There, there, I think there must be a fear. Think about it. We can preach faith. We can preach repentance. We can preach grace. We can preach mercy. We, we can preach salvation. We can preach all of these things to individuals. But if they don't fear God, does any of that matter? Am I going to repent if I, if I don't fear God that He's going to do anything if I don't? Yeah, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. That has to come first. That, that's the first thing that we have to have is, is, is I'm gonna, I, I fear this. You know, I've heard people say, well, they're only obeying because uh, uh, they were sick and, and, and they're, they're afraid to meet God. I think that's a pretty good reason, you know, to, to fear God. I, I think, you know, something has happened in a person's life. They finally realized, you know, I've not had a fear of God. Now I'm fearing how I live my life and facing a just God. You know, it's just like he says about the police. I have nothing to fear of the police if I've not done anything wrong, right? But if I've done something wrong, should there be a fear? You pass a state trooper, you ever tap your brakes? Why, why we do that? Afraid they're going to pull us over? If we wouldn't speed them, wouldn't pull us over, would they? So we, when we do something wrong, that's where the fear should be. On the wrong side, on, on the side of realizing that uh, I'm going to face a just God. There, that's what sin is, transgression of the law, falling short of the mark. Remember we talked about that. It's not just an arrow missing uh, the bullseye, but just a little bit. We're close, but it's okay. It's like jumping from one building to the next and missing, coming short of the next building and falling. That's how devastating missing the mark is. It's not just, uh, I miss it a little bit, but it's still okay. I fear that I missed the mark because not hitting it is devastating. And I think there needs to be, and I think that's what we're going to see uh, in, this, uh, in this psalm. Remember, he said at the end of Psalm 75 that he would declare, he would declare uh, God's judgment. He would declare and praise God. And I, once again, I think that's what we see here, or going to see when it comes to Psalm 76. Now, this psalm is broke down, or we're going to try to break it down into uh, uh, four different points of what we see from Asaph and what he's seen. Uh, we're going to see some history. We're going to see some uh, prophetic uh, uh, language to where he's talking about what's going to happen. Uh, it really comes down to fearing God and the judgment that he's bringing, the wrath that he's bringing to those that stand up against him that rebel against him and what their fate is going to be. So let's start here in Psalm 76, beginning at verse 1. It says, In Judah God is known, His name is great in Israel, and Salem also is His tabernacle and His dwelling place in Zion. There He broke the arrows of the bow, the shield and sword of the battle. Now the psalmist begins uh, with an announcement 
um, announcement of God, which, which speaks of a warning and a caution to the reader. Notice, God is known in Judah. His, his name is great in Israel. His tabernacle is in uh, Salaam. His dwelling place also is in Zion. The Hebrew word for tabernacle, it, it's interesting. It's a word that it actually speaks of a, it, it's like a, a natural den or, or a, uh, a hiding place or a lair. And I, I think this is important, and until I got to really studying this, I, I never really thought of it as I was going over Psalms here, and I got to looking what this is actually describing. It's describing his lair, his hiding place. And, and there's a reason that he, I think that he describes it uh, in that way. It speaks more than just a structure that was built, but a natural dwelling for a, a, a wild beast. Look in Psalms 10 and verse 9. It says, he lies in wait secretly as a lion in his den. He lies in wait to catch the poor. He catches the poor when he draws him into his net. And Jeremiah actually used this exact words in describing this. In Jeremiah 25 and 38, he has left his lair like the lion, for their land is desolate because of the fierceness of the oppressor and because of his fierce anger. So here, this same word is used here, this same phrase, uh, in the Psalms. As this psalmist opens this psalm, he speaks of a place where the wicked should fear to tread. It's, it's like hiking in the woods, and, and, and you tell someone, don't hike up here on this ridge because there's a bear cave there. Well, you want to stay away from that. Or if you're uh, uh, over in Africa and, and you're walking down this path, it's like, don't go over there because... There's lions that stay in that brush over there. I think that's what this, the psalmist is declaring here because his whole topic is about fear and judgment and the wrath of God. The way he's describing it is, you better be careful when you go here and this is what you're doing because you're going into the lion's den. And here's what's going to happen when you go into the lion's den. Um, again, I think he's describing a good dose of... Uh, of fear here. It's a warning. Even more specifically, it's a warning, I think, not to mess with God's people because when you go in this area and you do this against God's people, it's like you're going into the lion's den. You know, you're going into his lair and that's not going to be a good place for you to be. When you're going against God, when you're going into his territory to harm his people, this is what the end result of that's going to be. And when you think about the attacks that, that he, he, he's describing here, whichever attack that he is, uh, I think, uh, you know, he's saying, you better not do that because here's what's going to happen. And when you look at these words, Salem is short for Jerusalem. Zion is, is a specific reference to the Temple Mount. So he's saying, you know, when the attack, whether it's uh, when uh, the Babylonians were coming in, whether this is the event that he's talking about, when they came in to, and desecrated uh, everything that, that was sacred and done all this, all the things that I think that, that uh, Asaph was dealing with there, I, I think it would be appropriate. I, I think it fits. But uh, there are, are some people who think that it referenced the Assyrians uh, under the attack of Sennacherib. Uh, remember when the 185,000 were killed? And, and it very well could be. Uh, I think that fits very well, too. If, if that is, then this would be a different Asaph. Uh, hmm? What's that now? 
So which one do you think this one is? That with Judah. Mm-hmm. You, you think about these events that he's talking about here, and that's what I'm saying. I think it's hard to, uh, if you, you know, pinpoint, he, I think he's still saying the same thing either way. He, he's saying when you go against God and his people, again, you're going into the lion's den. And you look at, uh, when you think about uh, him attacking them going in, and that did happen to the uh, 185,000. And, and the ba- breaking of the bows. Remember verse 3 here? He says there he broke the arrows of the bow, the shield, and the sword of battle. What they were facing, what they were up against. Remember when they come in and surrounded it? Like I could say, there's, and Hezekiah got this letter, and, and, and he put it out before God, and what God's answer was, basically, here's what's going to happen. Don't fear, because here, here's, here's what I'm going to do. Uh, matter of fact, look in uh, Isaiah 37, beginning at verse 33. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, He shall not come into the city, nor shoot any arrow there, nor come before it with shield, nor build a siege mount around it. By the way that he came, by the same shall he return. And, and on and on. He, he, you see each instance when, when that happened uh, that he was dealing with in Psalm 75, and you see the things that he's dealing with, don't mess with God's people. Even if God's, knowing that God's in control and all-powerful, He's in His lair. And here's what's going to happen. There, there's a judgment that's coming. There's, there's something that God is going to do. God's always aware of, of, of what's happening. And as He told him in Psalm 75, judgment is His. Judgment is His on His time, His way. And when you come into that, there is going to be a a price to pay. Um, When you think about the history behind God defending his people, uh, each time, uh, uh, even going into the Babylonian captivity, God still knew where his people were. He told them how to live there. He he, he said, this is what's going to happen. And and he, he was all a part of that. And then you see all the different attacks and... You see, every time that individuals go against God's people, I think that's what the psalmist is saying. There's history to prove that don't, that don't end well for people. Yeah, absolutely he did. You know, it, 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 in the end, in God's own time, it doesn't end well. And when God does something, he always does it where there's no doubt that he did it. Hadn't he? So when judgment is coming, and I think this is what the psalmist says, you know, there needs to be a sense of fear. There needs to be a sense of awe when going up against... Now this is, this is toward the wicked, and, and that's the problem. The wicked have no fear, and then sometimes the righteous can't understand why judgment is not coming upon the wicked. Then, you know, go back to uh, Psalm 74, what Asap said. He said, or well, actually back to 73, he said, Then I went into the house of God and then understood what? Understood their end. He's like, ah, oh, now I know. Yeah, it looks good for him here right now, but it won't look good in the end to those that rebel uh, against God. But it's simple. Uh, I think it's a sin- sin- just a simple announcement to the wicked God's not passive, he's not complacent, and God is dangerous. 
when it comes to the wicked. God, God is going to judge righteously. And that's not a good thing for the wicked to go up against. Um, but I think the world has painted God as so approachable that we forget the, uh, to have fear for God. Look in the Old Testament. How approachable was God? Uh, can we see how well he was approached by uh, uh, the veil that he hid behind? Or not hid behind, that he was behind? Uh, what about in Exodus 19 when the people come to Mount Sinai? Was that an easy thing for them to prepare for coming in the presence of God there? There were rules that they had to follow or what would happen? They died. <laughs> it wasn't just something come up, God, yeah, let's just have this conversation here. Now, you say, well, well, Ron, God is approachable. Well, look in the New Testament. Well, in the New Testament, God's approachable. The Bible tells us that we can boldly become, come before the uh, uh, throne of grace of God. And we can boldly come. That's what Hebrews 4, what is it, verse 16 tells us. We can do that. But go back to what we read before in the first part of Hebrews when he talked about how some of them missed the mark, some of them fell short because they didn't fear. And then he talked about the high priest. What's the only reason we can approach God? His son. Cleansed of sin. Walking in the light is his light. That blood covers us. If it didn't where we could become righteousness, his righteousness, we couldn't approach God, could we? It's because of his son that we can approach him. It's because of, what, of our obedience through His Son. So it's not just, I can live any way I want to, and me, me and God's big old buddies. But that's what the world wants. You know, when people talk about this personal relationship with God, we've got to be very careful with that. We, we need to have a personal relationship. We need to have a relationship with God, but it's on His terms. Remember, even when, when we see Moses coming up to the burning bush talking to God, first thing he had to do Take off his sandals. Why? It was holy ground. And we've talked about this before. That dirt didn't look any different than that dirt over there. What made it holy? God. God is what makes it holy. And we forget approaching God. God is only going to be in the presence of holiness. And what makes us holy is service to Him, obedience to Him, following His plan that He set forth and letting that blood continue to cleanse us so we can approach God. I can't approach God without it. Remember, if we sin willfully, there remains no more sacrifice for us. I've stepped out of the light. I've stepped out of the flow of blood. I've got to get back in. If I rebel against God and choose to go a different way, there's no covering. There's no approaching. Isaiah 59 says, what separates us from God? Our sin. Our sin separates us. It's not that He can't hear us. It's not that He can't reach us. It's our sin that separates Him. So if I'm separated from Him, am I approaching Him? No. It's based on what His Son uh, has done. Now. Mm -mm. We sure can't. You know, I, I, I've often thought about, especially reading Exodus 19 and them preparing and consecrating themselves, and I'd be scared to death. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'd be scared to death of, of approaching and, and doing, going past the boundary, doing, hearing the thunders, seeing the smoke, seeing all that. I mean, God is making His presence known. And, and again, fear, wisdom comes with fear. So I think that's what God had to show them first and foremost.
Yeah, um, uh, we, we get into, and I, I was going to rush through this, but time's going to run out, so we'll get to where we get, and then we'll finish it next week, because I think some of this is just too, too important just to skip over, is, you know, we, we, we try to look, we, we look at things, you know, just like I've heard people say, you know, some of the prayers that David prayed, we can't pray like that today when it comes to the psalm. We can't pray for the, the vindication that David did because Jesus said pray for your enemies. What, I can pray the same way. What David was praying for, that their works would come to nothing. That's what he was praying for. You destroy them and their works because that's what he's still going to do today to those that rebel against him. So when we think about God, we've got to think about first and foremost as us as his children. Why do I serve God? Why do I not sin? Uh, I think there should be a, a sense of honor to him. To uh, You know, I used to think about the Old Testament and New Testament. The difference was the Old Testament told us the laws. The Old Testament told us the standard. And that's why meant they followed him. The New Testament is different. You go beyond that and you just do it because you want to honor him. And I always pictured that like a parent raising their kids. When you're in my house, you do it this way because this is what I said to do. Here's the rules. As you grow up, you still do those things in, sense, in this honor of your parents. Well, I think it goes far beyond that when it comes to God. I think I had a too loosely view of that. God has always demanded obedience. God has always demanded, this is what is right. This is my plan for you. And this is what you have to do if you want me to save you. I think it's always been that simple. Now, we, we can murk it up. We can put all this other fluff around it and emotion around it that we want to. But God says, I love you. I want you to, to spend eternity with me. Here's how to do it. If you don't, here's what's going to happen. But if you do, here's what's going to happen. That's just, isn't it? That's right. That's righteous. So I need to, to have that sense of fear of God so I can have that wisdom to follow him and do what he says to do, um, or I'll end up like the wicked. Now, notice here starting in verse 4. He says, you are more gracious and excellent than the mountains of prey. The uh, stout-hearted were plundered. They have sunk into their sleep, and none of the mighty men have found the use of their hands. At your rebuke, O God of Jacob, both the chariot and horse were cast into a dead sleep. You yourself are to be feared, and who may stand in your presence when once you are angry? Now there's a, a, a transition here that's occurring, and I'm going to say some things that go over my head. I'll just tell you it goes over my head. But here's how it, it, it's explained. This is where he starts getting into, and I, I believe it's true, I believe he starts getting into some prophecy, but the, the terms that people more smart, a lot smarter than me, uh, uses as uh, the prophetic perfect tense. Now, some of you smart people may know what that is. It's where in, when you're writing in, in, in uh, uh, prophetic terms, for individuals to understand, they use this term of, of uh, prophetic perfect tense, where an individual says it in such a way, uses a past tense verb as something that's going to take place in the future. Here's how I dumb it down for me. What he's saying is he is so confident in what he's saying that's going to happen, 
is he says it like it's already happened. And I think that's what, he, what he's doing here. He is confident in God's judgment. He's confident in what's going to happen. And he says it in such a way as if it already happened. And I think that's where this, this transition is, is taking place here. Um, but the point is that whether it's past, present, or future, God crushes his enemies and he does it easily. I think that's what we forget sometimes. This isn't a battle for God. You know, we talk about the battle between good and evil, and I think sometimes we put Satan on the same level as God, said there's this great battle of good and evil. The battle of good and evil is with us. We're battling that. There's no battle for God. There's no God wondering, oh, am I going to win this one or not? He's already won this one. We're, we're battling with us. As Peter says, we're, we're fighting every day and we need to put aside these fleshly lusts that, that weigh against us, these, these things that we're, we, we're prone to want to be like everybody else in the world. And he said, you fight against that. That battle of good and evil is what we're fighting. As Paul says, we're fighting that flesh. We're fighting that carnal. We're, we're, we're fighting whether we're walking by sight or we're walking by the Spirit. This isn't a battle for God. It, it, it's our battle whether we're going to serve God or not. And how well we're going to serve him. Are we going to give in to these things? So I think what the psalmist here, one good point that he's making is, this isn't a battle for God. This is easy for him to do. When God wipes out a nation, you think that's a big deal for him? That that's some hard, that he's got to take a break? And, well, I hope we don't battle again. I'm tired after that one. This isn't nothing for him. That's why fear is so important. Is... God's wrath, there's nothing that can match it. There, there's nothing that can go up against it. And we need, I think we need to remember that. The picture here is of the battle, uh, I think, that wasn't a battle of all. It wasn't even a good fight. It, 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 again, it's not like God was fighting the sickly or the weak. He talks about the, the stout-hearted. Uh, he, he talks about these, these, these individuals that come up, the, maybe the greatest that, uh, uh, soldiers that there is that is coming up against God, and it wasn't, they couldn't even raise their hands up against Him. They couldn't even lift their arms against Him. His majesty got them to where they couldn't even do anything. So it wasn't any battle at all with God. Notice. Mm-hmm. I think I actually got Revelation 16 in here. Yeah, it, it, it's not like, it, it's like the psalm, like David said, when men uh, are getting ready to war against God and all they have to fight, it's, God just laughs at them. It, it's funny to God. Like, what, what do we think we're actually able to do? You know, when we stand against God, uh, there's, nothing, there, there's nothing that, that can do there. In Isaiah 13, beginning at verse 6, it says, well, for the day of the Lord is at hand. It will come as destruction from the Almighty. Therefore, all hands will be limp, every man's heart will melt, and they will be afraid. Pains and sorrows will take hold of them. They will be in pain as a woman in childbirth. They will be amazed at one another. Their faces will be like flames. Behold, the day of the Lord comes, cruel uh, with both wrath and fierce anger, to lay the land desolate, and he will destroy its sinners.
from it. Ooh, that's pretty, pretty bold talk, isn't it? The battle against God, again, it's not even a, a good fight. It's not even close. Um, those that try to come up against him. You have the mountains covered with God's enemies who are going to approach his city and overthrow him. But again, one glimpse at his majestic glory and their hearts melt. They can't, go in, they can't do anything. They can't go any further. And I think that is why Asaph says here in verse 7, You yourself are to be feared, and who may stand in your presence when once you are angry? Who can stand in his presence? Who, who can uh, uh, come up against him and be victorious? Men have tried. Satan's pri uh, prideful enough to think that he can. How'd that work out? How is that working out? How will that work out? Yeah, he has power. He has power God has given him. God's allowed him to have. And I think we forget that. We'll finish this up uh, uh, next week. But, but go, go and read Psalm 76 and really think about uh, uh, the fear of the Lord and ask yourselves are we fearing God as he would have us to